it will have a direct impact on our anxiety levels in life, and it will have a direct impact on how we prioritize and we treasure things here on earth. In fact, there will be a, an inverse relationship there. There will be a, a, a less of a treasuring, and there will be a, a greater of confidence in Him that will come out of it. And uh, this profound spirituality is something that will affect our heart, and it's important for us to understand that what Jesus is talking about here is we are going to be living in the world, but we're not going to be of this world. And uh, there are two fundamental ways in which Satan delights to attack us. He wants us to be able to, to get our eyes off of Him and onto the world, and so there's this tendency to draw us away, to love the world. In verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And on top of that, there will be a tendency towards anxiety, anxiety or spirit of anxiousness regarding the things of this world. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. And so, there is the focus, and the problem is that the world is all around us, and yet we have to live our spirituality before Him, and yet the world is all around us. How do we deal with the problem of the world? How do we deal with that? And our human tendency is to react against the world that we're in, and there's often a temptation to deal with it by withdrawing from the world. There is that tendency. Um, Some of us are familiar with the term monasticism, but monasticism is the the idea that you, you separate yourself from the world and you put yourself into a locked convent and you, you chasten the exterior body, but that's actually a wrong way of dealing with, and there's a tendency within Christian circles to separate ourselves so much from the world that we have no interaction with it, and we have to be very careful of that. And the problem with that is that you separate yourself from the world, you still have yourself you separate yourself into a, a monastery, and you still have your heart, and you have to deal with your heart. Jesus has just told us, look, your Father sees in secret, and that's, where it's, that's what we have to deal with, what's in secret, because it's out of the heart that flow the issues of life. And so, Jesus, here in this text, I think probably would be good for us to read it, verse 19 through 24 is where we're looking at, the, at, at this evening. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. And Jesus uses a very, very interesting 
word picture right in the middle, verse 22 to 23, Jesus is talking about the eye's ability to see. It's all or nothing. It's a little organ. The eye here is a little organ. But if you have a defect of the eye, if there is something missing, maybe it's the nervic optic nerve, if it's something's detached or broken, you can't see anything. You, you have to have every piece of your eye working and functioning to be able to see. And if your eye is bad, it affects your capacity to interact with the world. And so, Jesus here is talking about the eye, but he's using the eye as an example of something even deeper within us, which is the heart. And Jesus is saying, look, if the eye is bad, you can't see anything. And basically, he's saying, look, your whole body will be bad. And there's an, Jesus is talking here by word picture and talking about our heart by virtue of the fact that he's talking about um, the treasure, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So the eye is an example of the heart. If your heart is not in the right location, it's going to affect your whole, whole outlook on life. And there's going to be great darkness there. And so in the same way, if our vision is cloudy with looking at the things of this world, it's going to distort our, us on the inside. And so how do we deal with this? How do we get rid of this, this difficulty of the heart and the temptation that we have to lay up things that are not of eternal value? Well, it takes, it takes a, a repentance and it takes a faith to chop away the root that is there within our hearts. The root is called covetousness. It's a desire for something that may be good, but it's a desire that we want something so desperate that we have to do anything to get it, and we lay up for it, and we stockpile, and we want it, and we can't. And Jesus is saying, look, you've got to make a choice here between God and mammon. What is it that you're going to put your confidence in? And so Jesus is saying, look, you can only have true joy and unlimited joy if you make me your focus. And so Jesus says here, bluntly, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, He says this both negatively, He says it negatively and positively. Verse 19, He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but in verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Yet our Lord is not so much concerned here as what might first appear, that He is concerned so much with our possessions as much as He is towards our attitude towards possessions. That is something I think that we often miss. It's found in the words, lay up, and that's important for us to understand. The word lay up, literally in the original, is the idea of treasuring, of making something safe and guarding it. And something that you have determined is of great value. Your heart has said, this is of great value. I'm going to put a lock around this, and I'm going to make sure that this is safe, and I don't want it to be disturbed. And it's something that we hope that we'll get joy from. And so if we lose this thing that we're treasuring, and we take this thing, and it's removed from us, it actually disturbs our soul. It doesn't have to be material wealth. It could be anything that we determine is of great value. 
In fact, it could be a husband, it could be a wife, it could be children. You have heard people say, hey, I live for my children. And when their children are disturbed, they are completely unglued. Now, there is a healthy sense in which we care for our children. But there is, a, there is a living for our children which can actually betray that we have laid up a treasure on earth and not in heaven. And there is a distinction there. It could be something as uh, subtle as the home we live in. It could be that which we live for. It could be the hoarding of wealth, but it could also be the hoarding of a status or a position that we, that we we relish and we have an ambition for. We want to be this. In fact, it could even possibly be the subtle, the subtle deception of our heart in which we see Christian service and an exalted position within Christian service as something so desirable that it has actually become a treasure on earth. We're really not serving for the King of Kings, but we're serving for something else. In fact, pastors can be guilty of this too. I have to examine my heart continually. There are many times where my heart is torn because I do at heart times desire, if I'm not careful, the praise of men. It can become something that is, has to be checked, it has to be guarded against in my own heart. And I think it's important for us also to realize that Jesus, when He's talking about laying up treasures, treasures in heaven, He's not talking about the earning of our salvation. I, I think we maybe intuitively know that. But we have to remember that this is being written in a context in which the Beatitudes are directed to believers. And this is in the midst of that sermon. He's, he's talking to believers. And so the truth is there is a, can be a tendency, if we're not careful as believers, to put a misplaced emphasis on things here on earth. But what exactly does Jesus mean here positively about laying up treasures? What does He mean? Well, I do believe that Jesus interprets Himself in other passages of Scripture. You can look at this time, or you can look at another time, Luke 16, verses 1 through 13. It's the parable of the unjust steward. Jesus uses a negative example of a, a man who is about ready to be terminated. He's about ready to lose his job, and what he does is he goes out with the boss's money, and he goes and writes down receipts to build favor in the eyes of those with whom he had been doing business with, so that when he lost his job, they would receive him into their friendship. And uh, Jesus uses that negative illustration to create a positive truth. And He says, look, the, the, the Gentiles in this generation are more wise than the, the children of God. And Jesus said, look, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. That's in chapter 16, verse 9. And what Jesus is saying here is that it is possible to use the resources that you have to, to help advance relationships for the kingdom of God. And believers have the opportunity to benefit from the relationships that are gained through ministry and resourcing 
so that one day in heaven, they will be there, those people who, with whom you have helped will be there, and they will greet you at the gates of heaven. I mean, we, we support missionaries. Let's put it in just practical terms. We support missionaries financially. Those gifts and those offerings will redound to God's glory, and the relationships that, are, that are, enter into the kingdom of God will be there greeting us at the door. That's what Jesus is saying. Uh, and in a similar way, Peter, or excuse me, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19, he says that we're not to, to, he was directing Timothy to command believers that were wealthy to not trust in the uncertainty of their riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And there is a sense in which there is a great reward that will come in heaven as we, we use resources for the kingdom of God. I do believe that this reward in heaven will have a relational quality to it. I don't believe that we're completely told exactly in every detail what this reward is going to look like in its fullest measure, but the concept that Jesus is talking about here is in, in, in Luke with that parable of the unjust steward is that when your resources here on earth fail you, where they have gone to help other people, those people will be there to receive you in heaven. There is a relational aspect to the reward. Um, and I can't help but explain it in this way, that there have been times where I have, in my own personal heart, been blessed by giving to other people. And I know some of you, um, I know probably most of you here have experienced that, the joy of giving to other people. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And you know, you have that heart intensity. Those of you who love to give and you feel it deep within your heart, magnify that by 10,000 times. When you are in heaven and you're seeing the people for whom you have helped reach eternity… That is going to be massive in our hearts. I mean, that's a, that's a, the, the joy is unspeakable, and our tendency on earth is to look at material things and find comfort and excitement in some of those things, but Jesus is saying, look, you need to have a different kind of output and look at the kind of joy that can be there for you in heaven. And so, laying up here, what are we making secure? Are we, we securing the joy that's going to be there for us in glory? And it's a faith versus sight dynamic that Jesus is talking about here. To lay up something that we can't even see, that we have to anticipate, only by faith requires obedience. It requires saying, I don't see the reward yet, but I'm willing to trust and believe that the reward will be there, so therefore, I will do it. It's called walking by faith and not by sight. And so it becomes the basis of obedience or disobedience. Do we lay up for ourselves treasures on earth or do we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? And, uh, I, you, know, you have, I have, you know, you have your children and you tell them, look, if you do this, then I will do this. I will, it will be so much better for you if you but obey. How do you get kids to like, 
understand that concept. Sometimes it's done through trial and error, and they have to realize the consequences of sin. But when they begin to rejoice and enjoy the fact of obedience, how much greater that future consequence is of faith. And I think that really help, something that can help us understand this even better is the fact that we have a Heavenly Father who delights to give us good things. I think that really the basis of faith is who is our God? Is He a God who is a tyrant, who is exacting of us, or is He a God who loves to give us freely all things? And that is a big difference in how compassionate is our God. He, does he, is He a God who gives us grace upon grace upon grace? Yes, He is. Yes, He is. In fact, um, He's a lot like Joseph was to his older brothers. Remember the story of Joseph? When, when they were coming, looking for grain, and they were bringing their sacks of money, and they brought their sacks of money to Joseph, and they paid for this grain, and they were on their way back, what happened? The money was put back in the bag. That story is not speaking merely just about Joseph, but of a greater Joseph, which is Jesus Christ. He is a God who delights to give His children grace upon grace upon grace. And so, how often uh, do we are, t- we are tested on this basis? Worldly treasures is something that doesn't last, and so Jesus has been talking about the importance of faith component, but now He talks to us on the basis of a common sense component. And He tells us that they don't last. Worldly treasures don't. Um, this was, I think, before my time. Aerosmith said, I can't get no satisfaction. You know? Is that, is that right? No? Oh, Rolling Stone. Okay, all right, yeah. I wasn't allowed to listen to that stuff anyway. You know? Why were you listening to that? No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the, 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 the truth is, everything in this world is subject to decay. Everything that we think will bring us satisfaction Will, will destroy us. It brings disillusionment. Time itself is fleeting. We think, oh, if I could just get to the weekend. <laughs> it's a weekend? No. But the older I get, I realize that things that I thought when I was in my 20s would bring great satisfaction <laughs> don't do it. And uh, I had this experience just a little while ago. I was at uh, Clark Summit University for Chapel, and I finally found that I was in the older category because the music was too loud. (laughs) I couldn't even handle it. Well, I could handle it a little bit. but, But the truth is, the things that we think will satisfy are only moth and rust. And it's just the subject to the the, the issue of our temporal nature. But Jesus says, look, thieves break in and steal. I mean, you think you can guard something and you make something last. Thieves are going to come in and break and steal it. We have illnesses, the things that we have hoped for. There's business loans that that go bad, and, you know, there's war and death. And, I mean, we've been sheltered through a peaceful era, but that may change. The things that we think that we have been laboring for may disappear. 
And I think back, maybe I've used this illustration before, but I love this illustration. Back in the 1970s, my in-laws buried bars of silver. They buried them in their in the ground. And it was during like all that time period of like fear of inflation and the government going to come in and take away all of our civil liberties and, and all of that. And there's the Soviet threat and just everything was going on. And uh, about 25 years ago, they decided to build a garage and they wanted to build it where they had buried these silver bars. They got out metal detectors and everything and they couldn't find them. And so they poured cement over it. <laughs> And then 15 years ago after that, they sold the house. (laughs) And it's gone forever. I mean, what greater place to put our investment than in heaven? And Jesus is saying, look, make God your treasure. Make God your treasure. Verse 21 and verse 24, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And the two masters in verse 24. See, pursuing God and riches are mutually exclusive enterprises. Someone once shared a story of a farmer who had cows, and he, uh, he had his best cow have twins, a red one and a white one. And he ran into his house excited, and he was telling this, his wife that, that he was going to dedicate one of these cows to God the, when it grew up and it was ready to be, you know, slaughtered, that the proceeds or sold at auction would go to the Lord. And in the process, the wife said, well, which one do you think we ought to do? And he said, no matter, we'll wait just to see how it goes and we'll let it, let it go from here. And several months later, the man came into his house. He was looking terribly st- sad and his wife asked what the matter was and he said, I've got bad news. The Lord's calf is dead. But she said, well, you didn't dedicate which one was the Lord's calf. He said, oh, yes, I had determined long before that it would be the white one. And that was the one that died. <laughs> isn't it always maybe, isn't it always that the Lord's calf dies? <laughs> Unless we are absolutely clear about our possessions. And I know it, it illustrates really the story of the battle of our heart. It is always the battle of the heart. Love of mammon is always a heart worship issue. But you know, if we consider God's Word, it it is not the issue of wealth itself. It is the issue of the heart. I mean, even Exodus 20, verse 15, the eighth commandment says, thou shall not steal. What is that teaching? It teaches that we are not to take from another person, and therefore the person has a right to property. And that's clear. All transactions of property are to be voluntary transactions. You consider Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, Satan had fulfilled their heart with greed and desire. They had made this bold promise to God in front of all these witnesses, and then when they went and brought the proceeds. It wasn't the proceeds that were promised. This is how it goes. But the word mammon here is an interesting word, and it does mean material possessions, but in the Hebrew, where it originally comes from, it meant to entrust, 
or to place in somebody's keeping. And gradually it came to have the idea of being put into safekeeping, and it shifted to meaning to meaning in that which a person puts their trust in. And so in this case, because in some translations it has the capital M for mammon, my translation says money, you cannot serve God in mammon. The word mammon there takes on a deific connotation. And that is the tendency, isn't it? When we have been given lots of resources, our tendency is to look at them as resources, and all of a sudden we start to begin to value them, and then we put our confidence in them, and then all of a sudden this stuff is actually our safeguard, and it's our hope. It has become a God. So what is our treasure? Is it God? Or is it the stuff that He has given to us? And Jesus is arguing that God is worth so much more. We're to covet Him. We're to desire Him. That is really the great sin. Are we laying up treasures upon earth? And I think it's important for us to analyze our heart motive in a lot of things. Can we view the things that God has given us with a sense of detachment? If we tend to see in our heart anxiety develop, bitterness, jealousy within family over inheritance, perhaps we have put our confidence in something which is simply mammon and not God. Let me say in closing here that God does love to give things to His children. And we need to have a very careful view of God's graciousness to us. I think we've all heard it said before, you can't outgive God, right? We can't outgive God. There's just no possible way, but we've got to be very careful that we don't look at God as a slot machine. In popular Christian culture, there is a health and wealth mentality which actually dishonors Christ. See, a gospel that is more true in America and less true in China is no gospel at all. And prosperity theology is built upon a half-truth. God does often prosper us, but He won't let us treat Him like a cosmic genie. Giving is a sacrifice, and the truth is, when we do give, there are times when it does truly cost. There is sacrifice. And God does reward, but it comes at the proper time. In fact, the proper time might not be in this, in this world. It may be in the world to come. God does prosper us so that we can then live generously to bless others. And so, remember that when we do lay up treasures, the investment might be a lifetime and the relationships that will meet us on the other side of the river. I think of my grandfather, who was a very generous man in many ways, and uh, inflicted with sickness in his life. And haven't you always heard it said that the result of your life is those who show up at your funeral? His life of generosity was not necessarily material generosity, but generosity of friendship with people. And in the end of his life, the funeral that had couldn't contain the church building. The, build, the people couldn't be contained in the building. 
And I trust that the relational reward for those of us who invest in the future of, of lives will be rewarded when we see those people in heaven with us, standing before the throne. That's laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank You for the time of meditation here this evening and thinking of the principle of laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And Lord, we are in many ways weak and we need to have our thoughts challenged. We need our hearts refocused. And the truth is, you have promised through your grace to reward us generously. And Lord, so we trust in that promise, but we don't trust in it per se for our own self-gratification, but for your own glory and our own joy that will come in one day when we stand before the throne. And so, Father, we just continue to thank, the, thank you for the missionary relationships that we have had in our church family for many, many years. And I pray, Father, that, that the investments that have been made through the years would have been investments that, that will result in great reward of seeing and rejoicing before your throne. And I ask, Father, that uh, we would have the, the personal heart uh, motive change, that we would be not thinking merely of just the moment of day to day, but that we would be thinking upon the eternal, that we would be resting not in the things that we see, but the things which are eternal, which are you. And so, Lord, just lead us by your Holy Spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.